0: We continue in our study of the Gospel of Mark. Pastor David, when he introduced the study, mentioned that we are not trying to do anything silly or fancy. This is a study of Jesus. And I'm thinking about that this morning after I gave the message last night. Sometimes people will say, I want us to look at the Scripture and learn the Scripture. We are doing that. We're looking at the Bible very closely and looking at what the text says, but we're also doing it with a very specific purpose, which is the same purpose for why the Gospels were written, so that we would know Jesus. Amen? Amen. There, it's not just a book to be read and to studied and say, oh, it's an interesting text. It's so that we personally get to know Jesus better. We were not here when Jesus walked on the ground. We didn't get to see him as eyewitnesses, and so the Gospels come to us. In this, the first Gospel that was written, and the shortest of the Gospels, began with an introduction not of his birth to help us see some of those early details, but with him coming on the scene as a very confident person, and we looked at that in chapter 1, because he knew he was God's beloved, he knew he was here for a purpose, and even as he faced temptation, and struggles. He knew who he was, and we can learn who we are when we understand that we're beloved by God, that Jesus loves every single one of us, that God came into this world in the form of Jesus to give his life for you and for me because we mess up. Well, I'm anybody else here mess up? Let's get a show of hands. Who, who messes up? We do. And we don't have to carry that burden ourselves. Jesus came to forgive us, we trust, we accept that forgiveness, we accept the fact that he forgives our sins, we are loved, we are cared for, and he loves us so much that he came for us personally, and that gives us confidence to live every day because now we're God's beloved children. Then we saw his compassion in chapter 2, how no matter what, he cared about people. Every single person that he encountered was important to him. And now we're invited when God's compassion is shown to us through Jesus to be compassionate towards others. So if you look at your little weekend guide, these guides are intended to help you with the message. The one side is so you can follow along in the message, and if you'd like to make any notes, you can. The back side is a study sheet for you to use for yourself or to use in a small group. And on the first side, we're going to look at the fact that the problem that we face in our life is difficult relationships Anybody ever have a difficult relationship? Or maybe I'm unique here. Maybe everybody else can be dismissed and I'm the only one who ever struggles in relationships. Anybody else have somebody you've ever struggled with? Yeah, we do. We have those times when things can get difficult. Well, we get trapped into thinking we need to win in those cases. Amen? I'm going to say that again. We get into tough relationships and we think we need to win. Amen? Amen? If they would only do it my way, if they would only see it my perspective, if they would only change, and that becomes controlling, and it gets weird, and it messes stuff up, and that's not how Jesus taught us to live. So our purpose is to, this is great, grow Christ's family, not win arguments. So if you came here today saying, Pastor Sam's going to teach me how to tell everybody else what to do, and they're all going to submit to me, and they're going to follow what I tell them, you came to the wrong church. That may be a church down the road, but that's not what Jesus teaches us. He doesn't teach us to win arguments. He teaches to love people and to grow relationships with others. And as we get into chapter 3 of Mark, that's what you're going to start seeing is how Jesus helps us to navigate difficult relationships. And that's an important thing for all of us because that's part of our Christian faith. Yes, we need our relationship with God, but we live with human beings. That's why if you walk into my house, there's a nice little plaque, and it says, dogs welcome, people tolerated. (laughs) Yes, he's just like the rest of us. We all struggle at times with how we relate to one another. Fortunately, the Gospels give us Jesus. We model our life after him. He starts to change who we are, and we start seeing how he navigated relationships, and it helps us. Now, in my home, when I was growing up, if it was a special holiday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, or somebody's birthday, or a time when we had all of our family together, there always seemed to come this moment, and nobody told me about it. I just grew up in my home, and I learned that this is what happened. All of a sudden, my oldest brother and my father would walk into the living room, and they had their little ritual. They'd walk in with a bag, They'd set it down on a table. They'd open it up. Helps if I open it as opposed to close it. (laughs) And out would come the chessboard. Do you know what that meant? Everybody be quiet. Because either my brother or my father would take that chessboard and they would lay it out and they would start to take out pieces, and they would begin by setting up their chessboard, putting pieces on the chessboard, and all of a sudden, that meant one thing. Nobody says a word. Because for the next few hours, you could walk in and see two grown men looking at each other like this. If you said a word, you were going to be in pro- in trouble. Do you know why? Because whoever lost the game was going to blame you. They're going to say, "Stan, you broke my concentration and that's why I lost." Because you see, in the end of the day, chess is a mind game. And I learned that from my brother and from my dad. It is about looking not just at the board and what you're going to move, but the next move. And if that person makes a move, how do I make the next move? And my father and my brother were really, really good. I never beat any of them. They both taught me how to play. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in the message. But basically what I learned from them is they were so disciplined in their chess playing that they could see moves ahead. If the other one made this move, then they would make this move, and they would be thinking all that through. I say that because in Mark chapter 3, I believe Jesus is the ultimate chess master. If you look at what we just read and how that text takes place, you see that Jesus is always a step ahead of other people. Did you notice that? As we're reading through these texts, one of the things I did is I took each of the chapters and I said, what is the image that comes to my mind? And as I read through Mark chapter 3, getting ready for this sermon series, I thought it's all about Jesus knowing how not to play physical chess, but how in our relationships to be able to think ahead so that he didn't get himself into trouble. Now, I understand, absolutely, Jesus is the Son of God. He's divine. He's in this world. But it's heresy if we believe that he's just simply God and we forget that he's human. He is perfect God and perfect human. And early in the church, people tried to make God only divine, and that gives us all kinds of problems, because if you have a Savior who's only God, He doesn't relate to us, and He can't forgive our sins. If you have a person who's only a human being, that's a really nice moral example, but you don't have a Savior. So Jesus is the perfect God, perfect human. And as we're looking at his relationships with people, that's what he really does out of his humanity. And ultimately, he's showing us on how he relates to people, how we can start navigating some tough situations because pretty much every relationship Jesus had was difficult. People are out to kill him. People are out to destroy him, to get rid of him. They're nervous because of the movement that is taking place. I remember somebody one time who came to me and said, nobody understands how difficult my life is. And I said, well, Jesus does. And this person said to me, no, Pastor Stan, you don't understand. People really treat me difficult. I said, wait a second. You're telling me they treat you worse than Jesus? The person said, oh, yeah, my relationships are tough. I said, wait a second. The Bible says that there are these people out from the beginning to kill him. Do you actually have people out who want to crucify you and put you on a cross? Well, maybe not. Okay, that's the point. No matter where we find ourselves in relationships, he's facing more difficult ones, folks. And the way he's navigating starts to help us transform how we have conversations with others. Just look at a quick recap of Mark chapter 3. He heals on the Sabbath, and of course he gets criticized for it, and people plot to get rid of him to show that he violated law. He drives out unclean spirits, and he has words to say to them about Don't go out and say things, but realize that I have power over you. He goes home to Nazareth, and that never goes well for him. Going into his hometown, he even says later, a prophet's without honor in his hometown. And he is accused of being Satan because of his power to confront evil. Now, people will get pretty nasty to us, but most people don't look at us in the face, right at us, point our finger and say, you are Satan. And that's what Jesus faced. He had people who were literally calling him the devil himself. He also has a family who comes and visits him who have some concerns about what's happening and he has people who try to use the whole thing with the family coming to say, well, maybe this will get him to shut up. Maybe if he just takes off with his family and leaves, we can get rid of the guy. In each case, people were trying to trick him. They're trying to bait him to a fight. They're trying to get Jesus to say something or do something that later he was going to regret. Now again, anybody who's never said something that they regret, this is your opportunity to leave. Because the rest of us, you know what happens. We get into those situations, and we either say something we shouldn't, amen? I'm going to do that again. We say something we shouldn't, amen? Amen. Or we do this. We fail to speak up, and later we ruminate about it in our minds. Oh, if only I had said this. If only I had said this. And so Jesus is literally helping us at this point navigate how we talk to others. I would ask us to learn to play chess like Jesus. Learn to play chess like Jesus. Not look at everything as a fight with other people or a battle with other people. But rather, how do I navigate these things? How do I become like Stan's dad, sitting quietly in a room, not getting trapped into a decision or a move that I didn't want to make? Well, if there's any great chess players in here, this is opportunity to call me out. How many people here play chess? Everybody who does, raise your hand nice and loud. Okay, I'm going to establish this once and for all. You can all beat me, I guarantee that. I am not very good. So don't go challenge me to a game afterwards. That's why I have my oldest son. He'll play you. He's pretty good. Hopefully you can beat him, and then I will laugh at him. But the truth is, I'm not a great chess player, but I have learned some things about chess over the years. First thing is three moves I'd like to talk about. Chess explained. Maybe we could call this Pastor Sand's sermon on chess for dummies. Chess explained in three moves. The first thing is the opening move. Do you know what the opening move in chess is all about? Capturing the center of the board. You got a chess board. I learned this the hard way from my family. You have a chess board, and the first thing that you do if you're a good chess player is you capture the center of the board. What happened to me is early in my playing with my family, I would always take my pawns and stuff and I'd move them to the side. And finally, one day, my brother said to me, you don't even understand chess. You're never going to win because who captures the center of the board has a huge advantage. And so if you, if you look at playing chess, it's all about grabbing the center of the board first. Because when you grab the center of the board, that's where the game is played from. You go from the center of the board out and you can attack from there. Why do I say that? Because if the center of the board in our conversations is like the center of the board in chess, where the conversations take place makes all the difference in the world. So let's take a simple example. If you come to me and you start trying to have a fight about something, and I go to that fight, you've captured the center of the board, and now we're in the middle of an argument. Anybody ever have that happen? You feel like all of a sudden you saw somebody, you didn't want to have a fight with them, you didn't want to have an argument with them, And all of a sudden, you're sitting here and going, this is weird. I I want to get out of here. So what Jesus helps us understand from the beginning of chapter 3 is how to capture the center of the board so that we're not even having the wrong conversations with people. Because that's a lot of what happens in our life. We get into these situations that we just wish we weren't in. Chapter 3, verse 4. It's a Sabbath, and Jesus heals somebody. And the problem now is the Pharisees are trying to capture the center of the board, and they're trying to look at the law. They're saying, you, young man, are evil. You're not supposed to do things like that. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So listen to what Jesus responds with in verse 4. Jesus asks them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? What happens to his critics? They're silent. Notice he didn't fight with them. He didn't argue with them over the law. He didn't say, you know, I'm a scholar, and let me go back and let's start debating the Old Testament. Rather, he went right to dictating the conversation by asking a question and getting a different discussion rather than what they wanted to do. He claimed the center. It was his base. But the center of the board for Jesus wasn't arguing about the law. It was helping people. It was doing good. It was serving others. What Jesus said is, let's start not conversations about rules and regulations. Let's start conversations about helping people. Let's make it practical. I love Thanksgiving because it's coming up. You're at Thanksgiving, and that person who always causes the arguments is at your Thanksgiving table. I will not ask you to raise hands because you could be filmed and that person may see it, so we don't want to go there. And you get baited into the discussion once again. You're like, how did I do this? That's because the other person captured the center of the board. You started to have an argument and a fight rather than looking at how would Jesus do it. Well, Jesus says, let's begin by service and love. How about this? Hey, I'd like to clean up the table. Anybody want to help me? gee, how about if we all go into the, the kitchen and we wash dishes together? I'm going to take the trash out. Somebody want to help me? We begin by serving and loving and doing something to help another person. One time I had somebody who came to me as a pastor, and they really struggled with somebody else, and I, they wanted my advice, and so we met for a few times. And they said, I'm really struggling with this relationship. I care about this person, but I don't know what to do. So you know what the first thing we had the person do? Write a card to the other person. The person sat in my office and said, they're going to see right through it. I said, what do you mean? They're just going to think that I'm doing that for some ulterior reason. I said, let's try it. They came back the next week, talked to me, and said, that's amazing. The person just really appreciated the card. I said, great. So now this week, call the person up and say, I just want you to know I've been thinking about you and I've been praying for you. They're going to see through that, Pastor Stan. I said, there's nothing to see through. You're just doing a kind, loving act. Who doesn't want somebody to call them up on the phone and say, hey, Stan, I care about you. I just want you to know you're in my prayers this week. The whole conversation changed. That's what Jesus asked us to do, to get to the center of the board, to realize that our call as Christians is to be Christ for this world. We are the body of Christ. We're not a political party. We're not the group of people who's out there to convince everybody else through arguing that their positions are wrong. I've got an honest confession, and you can correct me after worship. I have never yet in my life, and I'm 63 years old, I have never met somebody who said, I became a Christian because somebody got really mad at me in a coffee shop, and they started pointing their finger at me and yelling at me and telling me what a bad person I was and they just convinced me of all the things I did wrong. Amen? 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 You see, it's how we live. The first thing in our tough relationships in life is are you loving the other person? Are you unconditionally caring for the person? Are you doing something to serve? I don't know if any of you remember David Brednoy. When I first moved to New England, one of the things I discovered was the ocean. It didn't impress me. Prairies were much nicer. I also discovered the mountains. I thought they were pretty cool. And I discovered talk radio. We didn't have that back home in North Dakota. There weren't enough people. We would have had to talk to the cows and the horses and the pigs. So all of a sudden, I discovered talk radio, and I'm listening, and one of the people I started listening to was David Brednoy. Now, David Brednoy was not a Christian. He was an agnostic. He was also a brilliant man. And he had some really great conversations. And I remember one time, there was a movie that came out, and he was a big movie critic, and they were talking about it. And somebody called in and had an opinion, and in the conversation, criticized the Assemblies of God Church. The person had heard something, had said something, and the Assemblies of God Church, bing, right there. And David breadnight said, stop. He said, I'm not a Christian. I don't go to church. In fact, I'm kind of an agnostic, and I don't really know what I believe, but I have a neighbor who goes to an Assemblies of God church. And this is what I'm going to tell you. My neighbor is a really nice person. And I also know my neighbor's family, and they're a great family. And I see the things that they do to help other people and how kind they are to me. And I've gotten to know some people in his church because of my neighbor, and I see that as a church that does a lot of really good things on the North Shore. And he said, we're not going to criticize people that I see as nice people on this radio program. Can we capture, folks, the center of the board? Can we realize that when we are in our conversations and our difficult relationships, if we're going to fighting and arguing, then somebody else has captured the center of the board and it ain't Jesus. But if we can begin with love and service, we start having the relationships the way that Jesus teaches us. The second thing, the second move I'd like to share with you is called castle. Anybody know what castle is? It's an interesting move. It's where you take the rook and the queen or the rook and the king and you literally swap places, kind of. They're not exact a swap for swap, but basically instead of your rook being on the outside and the king being in the middle, the king goes to the outside and the rook comes in the middle. I was reading about castle a little, little bit, and it's always a move that helps the person who does it. It just changes the game. Because what is the goal of chess is to get the other person's king. And now, all of a sudden, the entire chess board has just changed because king or queen goes over here, and the rook goes on the outside. Rook is also able to make more moves, and it also puts a person in a safer position. You see, it's like rethinking everything. It's sort of like when we're in the middle of something and all of a sudden the entire conversation just switches and changes. Instead of the chessboard looking one way, all of a sudden it looks different. Well, again, that's what Jesus does. Because Jesus in chapter 3 is loving and caring and helping people, and along come the Pharisees and they go, We got this guy. Maybe he outsmarted us with this stuff about whether or not we can do stuff on the Sabbath. But let's be honest. This guy with that much power must be Satan himself. And so they finally figured it out. We are going to attack Jesus and we are going to call him bad. We're going to call him the worst name possible. And he's going to lose all of his followers. Because people are going to come and they're going to go, oh, this is really Satan. Nobody else could have that kind of power and just watch the people go away. Now, does Jesus engage that? Does he fight with them? Does he say, oh, no, I'm not Satan, you're Satan, you're bad, I'm not bad? He doesn't do any of that. Instead, listen to Jesus' response. Jesus called them over and began to speak to them in parables. Verse 23. Ask them a question changes the chessboard. I'm puzzled, he said. (laughs) How can Satan drive out Satan? It's a legitimate question. And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand, can it? And if a house is divided against itself, that house can't stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he can't stand. His end has come. And then he goes on further. Truly I tell you, you know, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander, but whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. They're guilty of eternal punishment. He said this because they were saying he has an unpure spirit. Basically, Jesus reversed the conversation. He said, what you're saying doesn't make sense. Could you explain to me how I could be Satan and I could be taking on the works of Satan? So right away, instead of having a conversation, he asks a question. That's always a great tactic, folks. You're in a tough situation and somebody says something, just ask for clarification. I'm totally confused. How could that be true? Really? You're saying I'm that bad of a person? Are you really saying you you've never met anybody worse than me, truly? Just ask a question. Reverse the conversation. Let's learn to be like Jesus and not think we have to go to every single fight. But then he does one other thing. He reminds people that it's important to be careful who you condemn. Because if I'm neutral towards someone, that's okay. But what if I really do condemn somebody who's really doing good? Am I prepared to do that, Jesus asks? Are you really prepared to go through life and to call people Satan? Man, what if you're wrong? Like, I guess that's okay if you're, you're right but is that one you really want to mess up on? He doesn't say he's not Satan. He doesn't argue with the person. He just says, isn't that sort of like the worst thing that a person can do? That God could be standing right here before you, and now you've called them Satan? How many times do we get into situations where rather than reversing and getting to a different place, we just go tit-for-tat with someone? Let's go argument for argument, and we think our next argument, and we're not even listening to the other person, and they're not listening to us, and all the while, it just becomes this big debate. Jesus says, learn to live a different way. Amen? Amen. We're God's people. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. The Holy Spirit's working on our lives. Our purpose is to act like Jesus in our relationships, so that not that people think that we're good, but people start seeing Christ shine through us. When we moved to town back in 2005, our son David was a junior in high school, and he was a cross-country runner. Now, as luck or fate would have it for him, your first two years usually in cross-country, you're sort of that up-and-coming kid. By the time you're junior and a senior, you're expected to perform. And he was a pretty good cross-country runner, running for Whitensville Christian School over in Northbridge, Massachusetts, And now he came into a new cross-country team as a junior with expectations from the team on him and expectations on the coach because everybody had seen his times and they knew what he could do. And so now he comes in and everything is different, everything is new, and what happened is there became another kid on the team that they were pretty parallel runners and they started to compete against each other. And you could see it. They would go out and practice and you could see each of them trying to beat the other person. Get it? Or they'd get in races and they'd try to beat the other person. I would watch him and the other person go ahead and then David would go ahead, the other person go ahead, the other. And you know what happened every time? David lost. Every time. You can talk about it. Every time he lost. And he got kind of discouraged because it was important for him on how he was going to make the team, whether or not he was going to get beat by this other person. He came and he talked to me and I said, why don't we go, I didn't know a lot about cross-country, I said, why don't we go buy a book on cross-country and see if we can find something about the strategy. So we drive up to Barnes & Noble, we bought a book on cross-country strategy for high school students. We're reading and we found a chapter on exactly what he was facing. And he said, if you find yourself in a situation where you're constantly going back and forth, fighting or, 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 or vying for position with another person and always losing, there's a completely different way to run. Stop competing with the other person. Just slide in behind them and let them run. Follow them, and at some point in the race, you're going to feel pretty strong. The other person is all of a sudden going to start getting weak. You're going to say, here's my opportunity to win, and run past the person and win the race. First time he went out and did it, he won. Next time he did it, he won. Then he talked to me and he said, you'd think the other person would figure it out. I said, I don't think anybody's going to figure it out. Just keep doing your strategy. He kept winning the rest of the year. He never lost to the other person ever again. I was talking to David about that and he said, you know what else happened? We became best friends. He said, because now all of a sudden this other person saw me as somebody who's a pretty good runner. Not somebody who was was competing with him. Not somebody who was arguing with him. Not somebody who was having a fight with him on the cross-country field. But somebody who was just kind of doing my own thing and pretty strong runner asked it to the team. David ended up being the number four runner on that team, which was a decent cross-country team, and he made a good friend through it. You see, folks, what we do is we become like these two high school seniors or juniors competing with each other, fighting with the other person, going back and forth. Until one or the other gives up and we're we're discouraged and we're like, is this the best I can have in these relationships? And Jesus says, the problem is you need to learn to castle. Change it all. Do something kind. Quit having the argument with the other person. Let's figure out where we can maybe not have to be right. Remember what we said at the beginning? Jesus isn't teaching us how to win arguments. He's teaching us how to build God's kingdom learning how to build relationships with people. And if you have somebody, and I have somebody in my life, who's constantly just the know-it-all, who we start getting frustrated with, or the person we're constantly having a problem with, what happens if we just don't engage, and we do something totally different? We become kind, we become loving, we become understanding. Because the problems happen at work and at our home, And what happens is we just feel bad about ourselves. Amen? Amen. We get into those conversations and we just never feel like it goes away. Greg Rochelle is a pastor who had a sermon recently on how we get into these negative cycles in our life. And I'm going to quote him for a moment. He said there's basically these different things that happen. We become relationally cynical we start looking at somebody else and just kind of become cynical towards a person. And it's a very negative thought that we go to. Or we filter everything through a negative lens and start thinking bad things about another person. Is another thing that we tend to do if we're in difficult conversations or, or difficult relationships is we become absolute thinkers. I'm right, they're wrong. Ever been there? And people aren't so clear-cut. He said the other thing we do is we blame. We get into a tough situation, we start blaming the other person for things that are problems in our life. And he said, you know, as Christians, one of the disciplines we have is fasting. We fast from food. We say, I'm going to take a meal off once a week and I'm going to use it to pray. Or we come to Lent and we fast during Lent. We say, I'm going to give up chocolate. I'm going to take all the money that I spent on chocolate or coffee or whatever it is, and I'm going to give it to something else. He says it's kind of a Christian discipline. He said, let's fast from negative thinking. Let's castle in our lives, folks. Let's quit thinking and saying the negative things to ourselves about the other person. Let's stop when we're having a struggle with someone else or struggle in situations, going to all the negative stuff, and become Christ in those situations. Instead of dreading going into work, what if we say, I'm going to have a prayer for my work today, and I'm just going to seek to try to do something kind and good. Because here's what a fast from negativity does. It guards our heart. None of us feels good when we get into those negative situations in our life anyhow. Jesus wouldn't have felt better about himself if he fought with the Pharisees. And the other thing it does is it makes relationships better. It gives us the opportunity to have healthy relationships as we start learning to live the way Jesus lived. And then, hopefully, if in our lives we can learn to claim the center, we can learn to pivot and change and get out of fights and have a different way of living... most important move of all, and you all know it, is called what? Checkmate. Right? Chess is all about checkmate. It's all about who wins. But here's the secret with Jesus. Victory isn't winning fights. Victory in God's kingdom is not about, I'm right and you're wrong, and I proved that to you, and I hope you feel really bad about those stupid ideas you had, and I don't ever want to hear them again. Victory in God's kingdom is about growing Christ's family. It's about making disciples. It's about helping people understand that in their life, there's a Savior who forgives them as much as our Savior forgives me. It's realizing that we can be brothers and sisters in Christ and learn to love and care for each other. Which is why victory... Becomes a secular thing in our lives far too often, where we start thinking, I have to be right and someone else has to be wrong. In our text, what happened is people came to him and they said, Hey, Jesus, your family's here for you, your mom, your brothers, they want you. And once again, Jesus claims victory, he does checkmate. Verse 33 my brothers? Who is my mother? Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here's my mother and my brother, and anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. He said, folks, we're not here about my family taking me away and me being some inside group. It's not like Jesus and his mother and his brothers and maybe a few disciples were right and they wanted everybody else to be wrong and they wanted to prove to everybody else that they knew better than them. It's all about expanding the family. He said, folks, as long as we're doing God's will, we're, we're growing the family. He was clear. Jesus came to build a kingdom. Jesus didn't come to win arguments. Jesus came to bring people into faith so that their lives could become better, so we could be transformed and we could be forgiven, not so they join our political party. Amen? I'm going to say that again. Jesus came into this world to bring grace and forgiveness and have lives restored, not so they could join our political party. Amen. And that's what we start seeing on how Jesus declares victory. Our problem isn't that we need to win fights. Our problem is that we need to realize that our purpose should be to win the hearts and the lives for others so that they can serve the same Savior we can, and then families can be restored. Communities can be built. Relationships can get better. When we do this, others see God's love shining through us. One of the things that I've always loved is Habitat for Humanity's founder, Millard Fuller. Because one of the things he realized is that Christians had a hard time doing certain things they wanted to do in this world because it was all the things that divided us that kept us from working together. And he looked at the church and he said, here's the problem with the church. The Baptists are over here and the Catholics are over here and the Methodists are over here and the non-denominational are over here. And then there's the non-Christian world where you know, here's a group of atheists and a group of agnostics and then you have a Jewish synagogue over here and a bunch of people all confused. And they all kind of agree on some things, but they're so busy talking about what divides them, they never really learn to have conversations with each other. So he came up with what he called the theology of the hammer. Do you know what the theology of the hammer is? You can be a Jew, an atheist, or a Christian, and you can still believe that it's good to help a poor person in your community build a home and learn how to be a home builder. Then what he discovered is when we bring people together on the things that we have in common and reverse the conversations and learn to work together, we build relationships and now we can have those conversations Because if all of our conversations happen at 30,000 feet and people are looking down on someone else arguing, everybody gets defensive and moves back. But when we can learn to change it all and realize that our purpose is to build God's kingdom, to work relationally with one another, to get to know one another, to love one another, to bring Christ's love and purpose to one another, we see victory different. Because checkmate for a Christian is not I'm right and you're wrong. It's I'm forgiven and you can be forgiven also. It's not I'm better than you and if you only did it my way, this world would be a better place. It's one blind beggar going to another blind beggar and saying we found somebody who will give us help. Let's come together and let's learn to live as family. Chapter 3 of Mark's Gospel is about tough relationships. It's about those places in our life where it's really awkward for us. And you might have places like that in your life. You may have people that you struggle with. Please come and talk to me. Let's pray about it. Let's help you work through it. Because God's desire is for us to be the family of God, to love one another and to receive God's grace and to extend it to others. We have things we believe, and we have things we share with others but we're not going to do it by arguing and yelling and fighting with anyone and that's not how jesus taught and that's not how jesus treated people and that's not how we're supposed to either let's pray heavenly father help us to understand your purpose for us help us to see why we're here in relationships with others And help us to move away from these win-lose ideas that so capture our community and our society and help us realize that we are here for the purpose of building your kingdom, of loving unconditionally, of doing things different than everyone else is. Because if the best that our community has is Faith Community Church, it's one more talking head to argue with others, that's not much of a reason to be here. But if we can learn to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to have the confidence and the compassion that he has so that we can learn to show the world that you made a difference in our life, we know that you're drawing others to you, and we can be part of that process. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.